Welcome to Foster Carolinas, connecting the Carolinas to voices of foster care. News alert time. Before we get into our podcast today, I wanted to tell everybody that it's May. Okay, yes, state or the obvious, it's May. But did you know that May is Foster Care Awareness Month, which clearly is very important to us, at least to these Carolinas. So each Friday in May, we're going to drop a new episode of our podcast. We have spent some time with a young lady that grew up in foster care, and she definitely has a heartbreaking story, but such a story of hope. And you are not going to want to miss it. So every Friday, 9 a.m., and maybe we'll throw out some in-between episodes between there. Um, Just make sure you're watching all of our socials for that. But we want you to be a part of that. So be watching for that. Also, Bridge Camp. Yep, it's that time again. We are recruiting for volunteers for Bridge Camp. Bridge Camp dates are August 6th through the 10th. All the information about becoming uh, or being a part of Bridge Camp and volunteering is on our website, lotcarolinas.com. Now, guys, y'all are invited to enter the studio with me as I talk to an incredible young lady about her journey in foster care. Well, welcome to Foster Carolina's podcast, where today we have Michaela who is an amazing young woman. I will just have to gush on her for a little bit. She has overcome so much and um, I'm so appreciative for God putting you in our path and getting to know you. Um, But you have lived foster care. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to do a little series on our podcast and we were going to tell your story, if that's okay. That's fine with me. Okay. Thank you. Good. All right. So let's start from the beginning. Um, what or when, just, just talk about the first time you came into foster care. Well, um, it started off different for me, maybe similar uh, to a lot of other foster kids, but I started with kinship first when I was nine. Um, so when you are put in a situation where um, your parents you know, are facing charges or neglect charges or child abandonment charges, uh, the first people they'll reach out to is your next to kin. So before I ever went into foster care, um, which I think this is, a, by the way, a big place where the foster care system needs reform, um, they will reach out to next of kin. And that causes a lot of issues, especially if the family was raised in a neglectful or abusive manner, because usually your aunts or your uncles won't be very, very different. Um, so for me, I went with my uh, grandmother first, which is the one who raised my mom. And um, there was a lot of drug use um, in the home, and um we primarily were just taking care of ourselves, And when I say we, I'm saying me and my brothers, because um, it was me and three of my other brothers that would um, be there. So you're nine years old and you know that drug use is not okay at nine. Mm-hmm. Did, did the social workers come and visit? Did you share that? Did, I mean, what, what did you they do? They did. And I actually specifically remember a social worker um, who was amazing and he, used his voice to protect us and they actually fired him. So 
Um, I know that he was trying to get us out of the kinship situation, um, which at the time um, he was not relaying that message to us as children because we wouldn't have understood it. But now looking back, I understand what he was trying to do. Um, and they fired him. Um, and rem- obviously he was removed off our case and we got someone we didn't know. Um, so we started to go through this long haul all the way till I was 11. Um, so for two years. For two years, we went through kinship care. And I went from my grandma to my aunt to my uncle. Um, and my uncle somehow, some way, got guardianship of me and my brother. And I was not informed of this as a, a kid. I guess they did not want to involve us in the decisions that were being made. And he got guardianship of, of me and my brother. And at the time, and if a social worker would have been involved, they would have seen um, or kind of recognized. And I remember being coached to lie that my brother was at the house. But my brother had ran away and was living with groups of friends that he probably shouldn't have been living with. Um, So it was a very, very bad situation that we were in. Um, And there were times where I would be locked out of the house for days at a time or um, (laughs) they had like locked food cabinets. Um, I remember there was designated places where they would put food for us um, and we were not allowed to have, you know, all of the food or, you know, just whatever we wanted. We were not allowed to. Well, were there other kids? I'm trying to say that without trying to get into grave detail about it, but yes, there was locked food cabinets and we were um, neglected in that manner. So was food locked up for all the kids in that house or just y'all? Um, so just us, my uncle did have a relationship with a girlfriend and she had two kids and they were young. They were toddlers. Um, but the, I remember they would be allowed to eat what they were allowed to eat. Um, but me and my brother were, we had the reservations. <laughs> so, um, so at nine years old, you're brought in and you're kind of passed around through family members, which yeah. is called kinship. Mm-hmm. Um, for those that are watching or listening and you don't understand what kinship is, is they're going to first, um, look for somebody that hopefully, you know, and somebody within the family to take you before they're going to put the children in foster care. And they do have good reasons. I mean, they have good reasons right, if yeah. there's a family connection, but you're right. I feel like foster care is such a cycle that that cycle has probably touched the kin that you have available. And so um, may, maybe need to do a better job of checking out those kinship right, placements yeah. and making sure they're a good fit. So if the situation was evaluated more, they would have realized. And this is the crazy, this is the crazy thing for me is that my uncle who got guardianship of me and my brother didn't even have custody of his own children. That is yes, crazy. So that, that's the wrench in the story. And how long had that happened? I mean, like, was it recent? Or? No. He had not had custody of his own children for probably three or four years at this point. But you know what? I think I talked to social services about this one time. And um, just because you had your kids taken away, when you have a new baby, you have to prove that you can't care for that specific child. Yeah. Not, not Your, your yeah. history does not... 
indicate anything. And so that's probably how that went with that uncle as well. So it really doesn't make sense. And that's why there's a lot of reform that needs to be done with anything out here. And we'll just use like um, uh, having a felony as an example. So I have really good friends that have a past and they have felonies on their record. They're great people. They've changed their life. They've worked hard to be where they're at now, but they can't go get a job that they want to get because they have felonies on their record. Mm -hmm. But the same thing does not apply with taking custody or having a child in your care that's already been previously traumatized or previously neglected or abused. abused. So it puts foster kids in the same cycle of being vulnerable to abuse and neglect and all of the other things that foster kids experience, like moving around, bouncing around. I mean, there's no stability. There's no consistency. And You're so right, because I'm just sitting here thinking, like, okay, Michaela has been abused and, and neglected, and that's why she's in care. That's why she's not with her mom. Mm-hmm. That's why she's not with her dad. But, yeah, it's completely okay. Let's put her with a family member that has had past history of abuse and neglect of his own children. Yes. Yes. So at the time, I started to learn how to create my own voice because I was not being valued. I was being overlooked. I was being passed around and tossed around. Everybody was making decisions for me. So when that happened, I was in guardianship with my uncle and the abuse and neglect continued. I wrote... I remember I was 12 years old. I was 12 years old. And <laughs> if you ask my GAL about this, like, she, out of confidentiality, will only be able to tell who I allow her to, but she will give the, the biggest smile and just tell you how proud of me she is. And she tells me that all the time. And I look back and I'm like, she was like, you were the talk of the office. Like, she said, you sent in an eight-page letter describing in detail all the abuse and neglect that you were facing from your uncle. And I remember that letter, I hadn't even given it to my GAL in 24 hours. There were social workers at the door uh, wow. at 3 o'clock in the morning. 3 o'clock in the morning. Knocking it on took the a little while to read an eight-page letter. It did. It did. And, and I'm so proud of myself for taking that first step because that taught me I do have a voice and there are people who care about me and there are people who are going to get me out of these bad situations. I just have to speak up. So let's talk about your GAL because was that your GAL at nine years old? So the the GAL that I had... Well, let's back up because most people don't know what a GAL is. So let's explain. A GAL is a guardian ad litem. Uh In some states, they're called CASA. CASA, yes. But it is a person um, that is supposed to be there for the child and be the voice for the child. Mm -hmm. So they're required to meet with the child once a month and really figure out what what that child wants or needs. And so they'll visit with the child in their foster home or in their kinship home. They'll come see them at school. They'll, they'll just, and hopefully, and one thing about GAL, which I just love this is that supposedly as long as that GAL um, is still in the GAL program, 
you're supposed to have the consistency of the same person. Right. The yes. whole time. Did you have the same person? I did not. But I got very lucky when it came to my GAL. So from the time I was nine to twelve, I didn't even know what a GAL was. I'd never seen one. So you had never. So I you didn't have a GAL until I was twelve, and then I had asked. I asked. I need someone to come talk to me. I need someone. I need to give this letter to someone. So I had over that year seen a man that I didn't realize was my GAL. So. I had no clue who this guy was. I thought he worked for social services, but that's how kind of jaded you are when you're a kid in that situation. Well, yeah, you don't know you who, don't these, know people who people are. these people are because you're just like, oh, it's another one. And you just think they're all from DSS. So, yes, I had had a GAO, but I didn't realize I had a GAO until I gave them this letter. Okay. And then that's when they fought for me. So that's when I really realized, okay. This person is supposed to be my voice, which I wish would have been explained to me better, but it wasn't. So um, if there's a GAL out there listening, I think what she's saying is if you have a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old, sit down and tell them who you are and why you're in their life. Right. I mean, I would I would hope that they do a better job of that now, but yeah. let's make sure GALs that, that these kids know I'm here to yeah. fight for you and to hear your voice, yeah. not everybody else's voice, because there's a lot of voices mm -hmm. in foster care. Yeah. There's the foster parent voice, and then there's the social worker voice, mm -hmm. and then there's, you know, the judge's voice, and then, so there's, there's a just bunch of mediators, too. There's bio parents, yes, and there's a bunch of mediators. Yeah. So, um, but, but back to the storyline. So when, when I gave them this letter, I wrote in grave detail, like what was going on and what was happening. And like I said, it was such a bad situation that they were there at three o'clock in the morning. Um, my uncle realized he was at the door and did not answer, of course. Um, so, um, because they didn't have a warrant, it was three o'clock in the morning. They could not do anything. So do they you had to leave. Do you remember that night? I do. Yes. Because I remember not going to sleep just in case they came back. So I would like sit in the living room on the couch and just wait to try to listen and hear and see if I could. Okay, wait a second. You're 11 years old and you're just sitting in the living room. Yeah, yeah. All right, I have a 10-year-old. There's no way she I, she would be in bed. Like, what I, So your uncle didn't think it was weird that Michaela's sitting on the couch waiting or up? No, so... I think he kind of picked up that they were there at three o'clock in the morning to take me into custody again. Um, so I think at that point, you know, there was a lot of drug use and he just kind of wanted to make sure be well, no, he wanted to be sensitized. So, um, which was an everyday occurrence, but I think he just did not care. Um, yeah. so he, in this situation, when you're in a situation of abuse, um, or, in other words, a horror home, because that's what it is. It's like a nightmare. Um, in my situation, my uncle had probably three or four bolt locks on his bedroom door. Um, and so whenever me or my brother were in the house, <clears throat> again, they have all the locked food cabinets. So he feels like going into his room, shutting the door and locking all of these locks are just ridding of us and we're not his problem anymore. So that's what, that's what, it's so hard to explain your story as a foster kid because it's like people who don't see this as life or have never experienced this situation or horror homes or abuse or neglect, 
it's really hard to explain it to them because they don't understand, you know, what it's like. Well, and that's why we're doing this series because I really want to hear the voices because I think you're right. The average person on the street does not understand what kids go through. Mm Um, I think yeah. that I always go back to this, but my mom would all be like, don't spank your kids into Walmart because they'll take them from you. And I'm thinking, actually, no, like you got to do so much for yeah. your kids to be taken. Yeah. Um, and so you're 12 years old and you've written this amazing letter, uh, eight pages, which gets you um, picked up. Did yeah. they come get you at school the next day? No. So at seven in the morning before school even started, I, I told you I stayed awake all night because... It was so bad. I was in such a bad situation. Three out of five days, seven days of the week, I was starving. Literally, my stomach was growling. I didn't have any food. I'd go to school, and kids would make fun of me because I would literally eat my plate plus a friend's plate if they would let me. Um, I remember there was a couple instances where I felt like I had to steal food, um, just things like that because – I didn't realize as a kid the situation that I was in was so bad. I just thought, okay, I have to do what I have to do. And so when kids started making fun of me, it was a, it was just like a, a multi, multitude of things that made me realize, like, I have a voice. I need to write this letter. So basically that's what I did. And at 7 in the morning after their first failed attempt at 3 a.m., um, they knocked on the door, and I ran to the door before my uncle could even unlock his locks. Um, and I swung the door open um, because I knew once she got her eyes on me, it it was done. Um, so I remember that day like yesterday because it was a breakthrough for me as a kid because I felt like I'm finally safe. Um, and I still have people that I talk to to this day that were our neighbors. And um, they were very skeptical of the situation I was in, but nobody ever would stand up and say anything. Um, There was times where I would be sick and I would have to go to a neighbor for care or I would be hungry and I would eat like three plates Um, and they would kind of just look at me like, what is going on, you know? Um, But nobody ever said anything. So I just, I just knew after I wrote that letter, this is me, Uh, the nobody's coming for me, but me. So I have to keep using my voice. And so basically at seven o'clock they, they came and they got me. I had she told me I had ten minutes. So the trash bags came in. I I'm gonna stop you there and we're gonna stop recording and 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 I wanna talk more to you more about the trash bags with you. Okay. Thanks for joining us today for Foster Carolinas. Were you inspired by something you heard today? Would you make that next step? Go ahead, whatever it is, making a phone call, volunteering, go ahead and make that next step. Everyone can do something for a child in foster care. You can go to our website and find out more about that at lotcarolinas.com. Until next time.